everyone. My name's Dave. I'm the founder of Sixth Sense Business. I'd like to welcome you to this series of podcasts dealing with the, the subject of small business leadership. So we're going to be talking to a range of managing directors and owners of companies, both ones that I work with and ones that I don't, about some of the everyday challenges that they face as they try to drive the business forward in the face of increasing levels of uncertainty around us. And to help me with that, I've got my co-host, Katie. So if you'd like to introduce yourself, Katie. I'm here to, to bring calm to the storm, am I, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, hello, everyone. My name's Katie. And I'm here to, to help Dave explore some of the themes that crop up regularly in the world of business leadership and, and how we can improve our outlook and improve our efficiency and, and I suppose all different elements of our business life and, and management. In this issue, we're going to look at one of the hidden but significant drivers of performance and decision making amongst MDs and owners, which is the backstory behind their business. I suppose we all bring a bit of baggage with us into the world, don't we? Don't we, Dave? We totally do. And the person we're going to interview today, Lulu Crossway Air, she's been a client of mine for about a year and a half now. She has a particularly intriguing backstory, and the reason I'm so delighted she's sharing her story with us today is that it really points us at an important idea here, which is that a lot of people set their businesses up with an idea about what they want in the future and how they want their life to be organised and arranged. And what they forget is that everything from their past comes rolling into that. So mm. that your backstory has a huge influence on how you drive your business forward and what you will or won't do in, in uh, pursuit of what it is you think you want. Right. None of us are blank canvases, are we? We all, we all come with uh, the odd little nick and a tear that we need to uh, patch up or at least reconcile in order to uh, to move forward. Yes, of course. And, and I think the important thing to recognise here is it, it doesn't really matter what that baggage is. It's how you frame that baggage and use that baggage to move you forward is what we're really talking about here. Yeah, how interesting. Well, colour me intrigued. I'm looking forward to hear what uh, Lulu has to say. The way we're going to run this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, is that we're going to we're going to play a, a short extract of Dave's interview with Lulu. We're going to let you listen to her speak about her experience in business. And then we're going to jump in to make some observations and, and have a little bit of a chat about the way that she runs business, her story and, and how that has, has shaped and coloured her, her business life. So shall we take it away, Dave? Yeah, let's do that. Right, so Lulu, thank you for taking some time out to join us and to share some of your sort of ideas and insights. You and I have worked together now for a year and a half, I think. Perhaps, goodness me, where did that go? So, um, but why don't you start just by telling us a little bit about Cygnus Instruments and how you came to be involved? Okay, well, hi and thank you. You're welcome and everything. Um, so Cygnus actually is a company that's been around for 37 years. Wow. So it was, in fact, my dad who founded the business. He was a ship surveyor, commercial diver, and generally, obviously a risk taker, but also <laughs> a very, <laughs> uh, a really clever person. And he was using huge, great suitcase-sized oscilloscope based ultrasonic units in really gnarly environments to do the inspection of steel structures 
and he just sort of realizes there's got to be an easier way to to capture the the bits that are needed for the measurement and the the interpretation and he was right and in 1983 or in the years running up to it he produced handheld electronic instruments that used ultrasound to measure the thickness of metal and he he was really well connected in in shipping and he got right. his particular technological technique written into all the classification societies specifications <laughs> well, <that was> <laughs> yeah so that's all the regs around keeping vessels safe for seafaring and can i can i ask you what did did he do you know if he developed the company? Did, did, did he kind of quit his job and start the company or was there a natural break from which no, he a good job question. Into? Yeah, he had, he had a ship survey business. So a, a team of surveyors who would fly out to all corners of the world. Oh, so um, he was already running his own company yeah, at the time he, he was, had this idea. He was doing that. Right. And under the umbrella of that, he started working with engineers and developing smaller handheld instruments so yeah but sadly he died five years after setting up cygnus instruments right and i was a child as were my sisters and there were a couple of directors within the business who brilliantly kindly ran the company for about 15 years um, whilst we grew up but when we'd grown up they sort of blew up at the idea of us being the people coming in for an annual update um, instead of there being trustees. And it was at, at that point that I stepped into the business. I never, ever thought that I was going to, strangely. <laughs> and, and it turned out that I needed to under the circumstances that caused them to blow up. Um, was was yeah. that difficult, that, that kind of stepping into the business to, to run it. I guess you had a lot of challenges around building your own credibility up with people and getting the respect of the team underneath you. Yeah, yeah, it was almost impossible. <laughs> 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 I, I used to be a number crunching monkey. I was right. a consultant hydrogeologist and I had no management experience. I had no idea what accounts were, no law, no engineering, nothing actually useful. <laughs> 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 and I was young and female as well, I was 26. Right. And also those directors were saying really, really unpleasant things about me. Right. To... So you had it all stacked against you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't come in on my really own. <laughs> I asked an accountant friend of mine to help me. All right. um, look at the books and basically answer all the questions that the directors were, were saying to me. They were telling me that they were really unhappy for X, Y and Z reasons and I didn't know how to answer them. So I ran to a friend and said, how do I <laughs> sort out their pension issues and their structural issues? I didn't realise that that wasn't my problem as a shareholder, but they were sort of paving the way for creating um that they wanted to do a management buyout but using sort of company cash it just it's a sort of long story but that's that's not what the shareholders wanted to agree to and it 
it sort of wasn't actually presented in a very nice way. And I went into the company with this accountant friend and then another consultant friend of hers who was sort of really strong on, on company law. And I ended up sacking them. Right. And it took, it took a year to sack one of them. The other one um, sort of seemed to go away quite quickly. Also, everyone within Cygnus was very, very suspicious of me because of all the awful stuff that was being said about me as a person. And so kind of within that, you had to learn to take the helm and become the leader of the business against all that backdrop. Yeah. How on earth did you go about I don't know. I, really early on, I remember picking up two pieces of paper and saying, why have I got invoices over here and invoices over here? And my friend said, okay, so those are your purchase invoices and those are your sales invoices. <laughs> so we're talking real basics at this point. <laughs> like literally everything. But amazingly, a few key people, and literally I'm talking a very small number on the operational side, gave me the benefit of the doubt. So not the middle management at all, but the people building the gauges and shipping them and making sure the quality and those key individuals are still with us today. Right. And we were really lucky. Okay, so um, what, what a fascinating interview that is, Dave. Um, Lulu clearly has quite an unusual backstory and I think some listeners might think well you know that's really inspiring and you know incredibly courageous and what a wonderful story but how does that relate to me and my business journey? So when I first start working with people um, this is a key part of how I get to grips with who that person is and how that business has ended up where it is good or bad is because what I know is, is the story, the content of the story, fascinating though this one is, um, is largely irrelevant. What's, what's relevant is how they bring that story into how they're running the business today. And right. so in the case of Lulu, it's hard to imagine that that, that journey that she's been on doesn't in some way uh, and in fact very strongly affect how she shows up in the business day to day. Of course. But I suppose even if your backstory is relatively mundane, it will have had an impact on you. You know, we all carry around our own little uh, thoughts and beliefs about ourselves, don't yeah. we? And and I suppose no matter how sort of, you know, we don't all lose a parent so early. We don't all have to jump into business. So um, at such an, an inexperienced level. But I suppose we all carry those self-perceptions perhaps yeah. which which influence you know, business. Right from when you're a child, every triumph and tragedy that you go through mm-hmm. in some way or other shapes the way you see the world, shapes the kind of risks you will and won't take, the, the kind of way you go about making decisions, even as simple as how you see other people, you know, which then affects yeah. how you interact with them and how you operate with them. All of this stuff, this melting pot of experience is, is really important to me as a coach. And then when I'm teaching leaders how to sort of calibrate themselves uh, they need to understand that they are very heavily shaped or influenced by that story. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. She, 
you know, we uh, we talk a lot, I think, in, in the world in general anyway, about imposter syndrome, mm. this sense of thinking, you know, I just ended up here and all this stuff happened. And, and I, you know, I'm just I'm, the you know, an ordinary person making the best of a difficult situation. And it's quite interesting how she, you know, she talks about how much she relied on her friend's advice and how little knowledge she had at the beginning. But of course, we can't all be experts in everything you know she says her strengths are in in numbers in in you know number crunching um but we can't all be all things to all men and I, I suppose perhaps part of that process is coming to terms with the things that you're maybe not quite so good at yeah so so you know imposter syndrome is an interesting one because you know I suffered with imposter syndrome in most of my corporate career but no one would have guessed it because I went the opposite way to Lulu I showed up as mm. overconfident you know, and quite combative. Mm. Whereas for Lulu, you can hear in her tonality as she's talking, and she's very common, by the way, amongst the people I work with, is that in some way she doesn't see herself as the powerful person I know she is. Because because yeah. of that story, because of that kind of diminished sense of, you know, I've worked with quite a lot of people that have taken on businesses from parents that are alive. Lulu's the only person yeah. I know that had to take on a, a business from her position, um, but even so, they carry a sense of diminished ability relative to the parent that they took the business on from. And my job is yes. to help people begin to work outside of that and begin to understand how that is shaping them. So interesting that she referred to her dad as a risk taker. Mm. And I wonder if she would refer to herself in the same way, because, of course, she she did take on a risk by by leaping into everything so fully um, at, at such a key moment in the business's story. And I wonder if she'd recognise that same uh, element in her own personality. We see, the interesting thing about risk-taking, you know, is, is this as a subject, if you like, is that risk in itself is a nominalisation. It's a word for something that doesn't mm. really exist. And so we each have a unique perception of what risk is and what good risk and bad risk is. So, you know, yeah, Lulu yeah. did take on a huge risk, but she wouldn't regard herself as a risk taker in any way, mm -hmm. shape or form. Um, and conversely, I've got other business owners who take huge risks, who are hugely kind of aggressive in their strategies, but don't see it as risk because they think the bigger risk is sitting there doing nothing. So the whole idea yeah. of risk is that is that it's a highly personalised thing and it is grounded in that story in what you know how we learn to see something as a risk or not is part of our backstory and again we're yeah. all different and do you think perhaps that's more it's more common in younger people it's more common maybe even in in females to feel like they're a little bit out of place in the business world well you you heard it in lulu's voice you know you heard that kind of idea that you know a female in a male dominated environment but do you know what? I think the labels themselves are relatively unhelpful. You know, is that is that right. I find as soon as you start to attach a label to yourself, even if it's one as basic as I'm a female, you know, or or, um, mm. or I'm a risk taker, I'm not. Those labels are largely irrelevant. Um, be, and the, the risk when you start to label yourself in those ways is you start to allow that label to affect how you behave and how you show up. So you constrain yourself in some way by the labels you stick onto yourself. Yeah, interesting. Even even when she says, you know, I'm a, like I say, I'm a, I'm a number monkey. To an extent, she she's putting herself in a box there and saying, that's what I do. That's what I'm good at, you know, and and 
part of learning to be a business leader, I suppose, is learning to open yourself up to other things and, and other skill sets. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's testing your edges. So if you think you're a number monkey, it's testing your edges around that to see what other capabilities exist that you've been hiding from yourself. And, and sometimes you do come back to a conclusion, as, as we'll find out later with Lulu, you do come back to a conclusion that these are the things I'm good at. And, you know, I, I don't think I've never met any business owner who's good at everything required to run a business. That no. person just doesn't exist. But what, what no. the good business owners do is they know their strengths and they know where to put their energy and their focus. And more importantly, they know how to get all the other stuff covered so that it doesn't become a problem. Right, right. Well, let's uh, let's listen to the next bit of the interview and see see where that that concept takes us. We were really lucky and we recruited an amazing design engineer who's now our technical director as well. And because I realised the talent that we've been able to bring into the company there, I knew that when we were faced with this potential theft of intellectual property, I actually, to, to be able to uh, create a case and sue the ex-directors for that, I would have needed to ask our new design engineer to reverse engineer their products. Also, they hadn't left us any design records, so he would have had to reverse engineer our own products, compare the two, and then decide whether or not to sue them. And I just thought, do you know what? How uninspiring is that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a real backwards no, goal, isn't yeah, it? And a real sort of, let's go backwards and dig this yeah, up. Yeah. I didn't want to do that to him. And I also didn't want to incur uncapable costs in the legal battle so we just decided or i decided at that point we were just going to forge on we were going to outcompete them and for such a long time we were very aware of every move that they were making and it really kept us on our toes for all our marketing and we'd recruited a really awesome marketing expert as well and she is doing an amazing job on all our digital marketing today mm. And we, we just sort of had the beginnings of a really fantastic team at one level, but built on the foundation of the operations guys that just really kept the core business so strong and stable. But yeah, it, I, I nearly burnt out after, after about four or five years. I was doing sort of 16 hour days and it was a baptism by fire. So I was quite pleased when it was time to have babies and I could just step back a little bit. Was you aware? Did you have a sense you were coming to a burnout point? Yeah. You, I, you felt I, it inside? Yeah. I was doing a lot of travelling and um, I was getting ideas and I knew what we needed to do to take the company forward. But I, I would bring them back and I, and I couldn't convince the others. I couldn't get the team on board. I was just starting to feel that I don't know I was a bit disconnected or something and I, I was sort of questioning my own um, abilities I guess on the on the marketing strategic marketing side of things not that I even knew that strategic marketing was a, a phrase <laughs> at that stage but <laughs> yeah exactly so in fact when my husband left the army and he'd done a couple of years in a manufacturing company elsewhere it seemed like all the 
aspects that I was weak on, which is the kind of customer interfacing and the strategic marketing, he was really strong on. So we thought that it was a really good fit. And um, with it being a family business, I asked him to come in and be MD for, you know, whatever was needed whilst we had a family. So it was a business fit and a personal fit. And so, yeah, Dave ran it for, for about five years before we switched back. So um, let's, let's roll it forward to, to now because, you know, as, as I listen to your voice here, I don't, I don't hear a lot of that angst and that stress and pressure that you've gone through and that boiling point, you know, that, that, that kind of boiling pot, if you like, that you had to fight your way out of. Uh, so when, when, we, when you look at, when you sit and look at the business now, tell us a little bit about how the business is doing now and how you view it particularly. Oh, um, the business is in a really good spot now. I just feel so lucky. <laughs> Dave, so Dave, my husband's actually been on sabbatical for, for nearly a year. And what we've done is we've formed a bit of an operating board, the, the other directors, in, including an operations director, who has in fact done an amazing job of implementing a new software solution, an ERP solution within the business. How has that board, as, as it beds in now, changed your role and how you interact with the business? So each individual on our operating board has taken complete ownership of their teams. So I no longer do kind of HR for everyone. That's held by each of the directors or managers right. within each department. So which, is that freed up a lot of time for you? So much. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> it's generally quite time consuming. Isn't it? <laughs> and it's, it's such a positive impact for the, for the communication between any individual and their line manager. It's the, they're really, there's such clarity around who they need to go to. And it's, it's the person who's closest to the information. If it's, you know, work-based and task-based instead of someone running to me and I actually don't really know what's going on and then I'm only hearing one side of the story and it undermines those managers or directors and it, it was just a it, it's a bit of a mess when you kind of have a structure but then you bypass it and we're, we're really seeing that all for, mm. for what it is but I think before I was thinking that it was helpful to take those aspects off those managers plates because we were actually a bit smaller and it probably did make sense at the time um i'm trying to justify a positive intention in my sort of <laughs> mistake there isn't one <laughs> yeah. what, what has it freed you to to be able to do so also i've taken on a part-time compliance assistant so she does the h health and safety as well as a bit of hr and and some qa support so that's been so another... these are those little functions that never quite have a home in a small business that you've managed to find someone that can yeah. just pick yeah. that up that that must have helped so much and i was really nervous about that move because i thought i couldn't justify the expense and I thought it's a really easy stuff I can do it of course I shouldn't spend that that money or put that overhead into the accounts and and what am I going to do as well <laughs> and it's such a relief not to have that to-do list of 150 things literally or just niggling in the back of my mind 
and I'm able now to jump in on any issue that anyone brings to me, be a sounding board so that they can make a good decision on how we need to proceed. If they need my help to remove any barriers, then I can just do that. I am spending a lot more time doing analysis of sort of margins and sales figures and we've because, now because we know got, that there's an element of you at your best is the number monkey isn't it yeah. is it, you actually do enjoy <laughs> yeah. getting yeah. in under the bonnet and, and yeah. you know, but that stuff's really important too of course so. yes yeah but the really the really awesome thing is 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 having this operating board we make every single decision that's that needs to be at that level together mm. to 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 have every aspect of the business represented by experienced individuals and for us to support each other with that decision to hold each other to that decision is becoming increasingly powerful and so you've kind of transcended one of the big barriers that i see in in businesses of around your size you know which is this it's this migration from you as the md being the pin in the wheel if you like i all the spokes come to you so everything's coming through you to now you being able to elevate yourself out of the hamster wheel if you like to be able to look at the business as a whole and to and to dive in when you need to dive in but yeah. otherwise to rely on other people to keep the whole structure of the hamster wheel moving yeah it, it doesn't come naturally because i'm a really detailed person and How do you stop I, yourself on those moments where you suddenly realise you're about to leap in? Um, it's the others. They're saying, hey. Oh, they're stopping. Yeah, they <laughs> Even say, better, they're stopping yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, they say, you stay out of this one. Perfect. Literally. Perfect. And it's like, thank you. I will. That's perfect. You're good. Fine. Go. Wow. So there's um, there's quite a lot to unpack in that uh, that little segment of the interview, isn't there, Dave? Um, I suppose the main focus, the main element to come out of that is this sense that for her, a big part of getting comfortable in the business and feeling like she'd found her, her feet was making sure that she had the right people around her and the right team to uh, to support her during the process. Yeah, I... <laughs> It's an interesting one with with Lulu, and and I'm I'm going to say this as a characteristic of uh, business owners and managing directors in general is that there is this tendency to make it all about what other people have done and have contributed, mm. and I really find it quite strongly with Lulu that, and again, comes back to the backstory, you know, kind of coming in and she really needed some people to support her and to be on board with her, which she got. But then if you listen to the way Lulu talks, she describes everything in terms of how other people did things and how other people are brilliant and clever. And I want to take yes. a moment to thank all the managing directors out there and to remind them it is you are doing that. Yes. You know, yeah. you're, you are playing a role in this. And it's really important to me that people understand because... When you're running a business, you know, I, I have an old saying I use a lot, which is you're not paid to do things. You're paid to get things done. But you have to yes. recognise the importance of that role, yes. of being the, the, the conductor of the orchestra 
And it's not all about the players. It's about the person who brings that all together. And I think some of that, again, is that sort of sense of imposter that many of us carry around with us that stops us being able to see the role that we're playing in the success that the business is producing. Yeah, a big part of being a a good leader is making sure that you've surrounded yourself with the right people. It's no accident that you, that person who's performing incredibly well, are performing incredibly well because you recognise they were the right person for the role and you brought them in and you share, I suppose, a part in that success. Exactly. You know, but it is, you know, Lulu's ongoing success is, is, is a large part of that is born in her ability to have created a management team that are functional. And again, as I mentioned in the interview, it's the biggest it's the biggest trap around that you, the, the, the owner of the business gets so caught up in the detail and they then aren't able to step out and also to be able to spend the time to develop those people underneath them so that they're able to step into that kind of management strategic level. And Lulu's been brilliant at that. She's really crafted a great team around her. Yeah, and I suppose that's that's um, the job of of it, it. I suppose it can be very easy as a as a business leader to feel like because you are responsible for the running of everything, that should mean that you you should get involved mm. with the running of everything. And and she, it's interesting to hear her talk about the fact that she is inclined to to get involved and try and problem solve and try and help, and that mm. you know she had to make herself or other people had to make her step away from the role and and relinquish some of that and recognize that actually her job is to like you say be the conductor of that orchestra rather than sort of trying to run around playing all the instruments yeah and and you heard it beautifully when she was you know the kind of guilt she felt about bringing Mm -hmm. on that person to take on some of the kind of uh, HR and quality type stuff that goes on in the business and I hear this time and time again you know I think the most owners of businesses just do not value their time enough that they that they think that bringing in someone at £30 an hour or whatever it is that she's paid that person is somehow a poor, uh, a poor way of spending money. Because yeah. every hour that that person is doing that job is is saving Lulu an hour, is enabling Lulu to be doing the more strategic and more significant things. So, you know, this time for money trade, I see this all the time. It goes right back to my early days of business coaching. One of the fastest ways I can get a business moving forward is when I can make the owners invest money in getting all this stuff covered by other people. Yeah. And it was fascinating to hear her talk about, uh, you know, experiencing burnout. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting to hear her talk about that because I think there's a lot of business leaders who don't want to admit when they're struggling or don't want to admit when they, they're feeling overwhelmed by uh, the tasks on their plate. And I think often that's a, that's a sign that something is not quite functioning right within the business. If you've got too much to do, there you have to take steps to, to alleviate that because there is such a thing as more than one human being is capable of taking on. And I think it was interesting to hear her reference that for that reason. Um, but also I found it so fascinating to hear her say that for her, one of the signs that that realised or made her realise that she was burning out was the fact that she suddenly wasn't able to convince people to go along with her ideas or her perspectives on things. And that she recognised that was a, a sign of discord and that she was the person who was experiencing or was the source of that discord Mm. you know overwhelm Mm. 
which is another word, I guess, for burnout. Overwhelm is a state of mind. We have to primarily address it like that. It's not, you know, it's not that there are too many things to do. It's that you are trying to juggle too many things in your own head. You know, because there's always too many things to do. <laughs> you know, yes. I don't know work with any business owner who hasn't got a bigger to-do list than they're ever going to get to. Yeah. So overwhelm is the state of mind that is associated with that. And and um, when you're in that state of overwhelm, suddenly you don't have access to the clarity that you need to be able to express your ideas in ways that will engage other people because it's frantic. It's an energy that's kind of frantic and desperate and constantly pushing and driving. And other people find that hard to engage with. You know, yes. so... So you've got to, you know, when you begin to notice those signs of overwhelm, that's that to me is when it's time to well, stop, step back. Yeah. And regroup, and because if you don't sort this out, once you're on that hamster wheel going at 100 mile an hour, getting off is very, very hard. Yeah. And, and the state of being overwhelmed is is physically exhausting in and of itself. So yeah. you're then getting exhausted, not just by the tasks and by, you know, all the all the, the stuff that you have to do, but also by the stress, the physical stress mm. of, of having to cope with it all. And then your body needs more time to recover from that. And that's time that takes you away from the business as well. So it becomes a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. Of course it does. Sense. Of course it does. It's a downward spiral. You know, once you're on that, and the trouble is, the, the way people respond to that feeling of overwhelm is to try to work even harder. And it's never yeah. the solution. No. It's never the solution. The solution is always you either need to slow the whole thing down or you need to get resource in to to help you continue to moving at the to help you continue to move at the pace you're trying to move. Those are the only two options when you reach that point. You either back off or you find you find a foundation you can put in place that enables you to keep climbing. And yes, I suppose finding a way to deal with your burnout or to find a way, even when you're not burned out, even when you're not overwhelmed, but to make sure that you're taking time to uh, make time for yourself and make time for you to sort of stay away from the business in a sense is very important. And I know everyone has their own way of dealing with that sort of thing. And I think that's something that we we expand on in the next segment. So shall we, uh, shall we hear the rest of what Lulu has to say? You know, a lot of people, I, when I first meet your type of company, they don't really feel like they have a management team that can that support them. It's almost like they mm. have to tell everyone what they want done, not that people are coming to them, helping them drive the business forward. Have you got any thoughts or advice for people that are, are at that point before the leap that you took? At this point, I'm going to not take credit for the idea of the operating board because you and I both know it was yours. <laughs> All right, I'll um, take that. So, <laughs> so you've got to take that. <laughs> Um, but it was really hard to put that in place because it was change, as you say. And also we were at a point where we were running really dysfunctional meetings and we were all a bit allergic to meetings. And so to get the right behaviours within shorter, more effective, more efficient meetings was something that has taken lots of work. Adding Wayne our ops director to the board has had a huge impact. Mm. 
because he did you know he, that that would happen if you elevated him or yes yes what, can you could you identify he, what that was he's he's very direct it's always what's right for the company it's not about individuals there's no blame there's no personal stuff and it's all about the task anything that it requires a, a discussion you spend the time on that and he's always very supportive and you do that outside of the meeting you only bring things that need a decision to a meeting you don't bring discussions to a meeting and nice. um, where's your head facing now so what's the next couple of years look like for Cygnus as we come out of this bizarre period of pandemic which I think by a large sickness has pretty much cruised through it would be fair to say. Um, in the next year the, the objectives are, are around our sales level, product launches, cross-team support, bringing on more technical resource but from within. We have hired as well but we're developing skills and experience within as well. After that premises move which slightly makes me feel nauseous. <laughs> but it, it's great as well. I'm really excited yeah. to get us out of here and we, we're, we're bursting out. But it's, it, yeah, it's, it's all about the management team working really, really well. They're keeping that going as well. Wonderful. So if people want to find out more uh, about Cygnus, what, where's the best place for them to go, Lulu? Our website. Okay. So Cygnus is C-Y-G-N-U-S, Cygnus Instruments. Our marketing director just does an amazing job on, on all of that. So you can contact us that way. You can see what we're about, the applications, the industries we serve, our products. It's all, it's all there. So if anyone wants to get in touch, then the contact details are there. And they're welcome to. Fantastic. So... I want to finish off with a couple of quick fire questions. What does leadership mean to you? Other people doing well. Nice. What's your best trait? Thinking everyone is awesome. <laughs> Good and bad there. <laughs> my, my worst trait as well. <laughs> How do you motivate yourself when you're not feeling it? In the immediate term herbal tea and dark chocolate keep me company on a task I really don't want to get my teeth into and it gets me there but long term about yoga and meditation for me right so you you use those to center yourself again and yes and I can kind of just concentrate better and switch off after work and just yeah everyone's different but yeah yeah if it works for you What's yeah. keeping, what keeps you awake at night? Well, what used to keep me awake at night was the perennial fear mm. of people leaving. Now it's more fear of not getting enough done, not doing enough to support others. It's just my, my, my to-do list is just huge. <laughs> at least you've got a to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good start. You help me prioritise it. (laughs) And then the chocolate helps me do it. (laughs) Fabulous.
Well, thank you, Lulu. Thanks for taking some time out. It's been it's been interesting as ever. Now, obviously, I know the story, but I know that for people that are not familiar with you, it's going to be a lot that resonates for them in, in, in the words you've shared today. So I really thank you for that. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So there we go. We have uh, we have Lulu's word there: herbal tea and dark chocolate to get you through the to-do list. That sounds that sounds perfect to me. And yoga and meditation. I think that uh, sounds like a really good way to take yourself outside of the stresses of the business. Yeah, it's funny. No, I, I can't hear the words yoga and meditation without thinking of some sort of dropout hippie, which is crazy. <laughs> I know because lots of my clients it's very trendy. Yeah, lots of my lots trendy. of my clients use yoga and meditation, but. Look, you know, and I think Lulu made the point herself here as well is everybody is different. Uh, And what I do know with my clients that I work with is that I help them find what is the thing that I can get you to go and do that I know will center you again. So, you know, when I turn up and you're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling, you know, and I can tell you you're all over the place. More often than try and untangle that, I'll just say to you, hey, look go to the gym, go for a run, go read a book, whatever it is. I've got one client who I just have to say, go make a cup of coffee because they don't just make coffee. They don't just pour a instant, you know, put a a spoonful of instant. They craft coffee. And I know that when they put Mm. their attention on that, that by the time they've made the cup of coffee, the world looks different again. It's interesting, isn't it? How focus can only be sustained for so long and it's something that I think we're finding uh, you know in the pandemic is that people spend so much time staring at screens so much time focusing on things you know all the advice is you know look at something far away you know go for a walk move away from the screen and I think that's good advice for offices and things you know post pandemic as well but there is something very important about physical movement I mean my thing by the way is cross stitch I enjoy a bit of cross stitch top tip for for those of you listening Um, but there's something about walking, about the gym, about running, about just getting up and moving. You know, I've heard it said that when you're stuck mentally, it's often because you're stuck physically and that to actually have that sense of moving forward in a physical way can help you gain a sense of moving forward in a in your business, in your, you know, thought processes and all that sort of thing as well. It it's it's state shift. Mm. Is is the key here. So my, my coach has a, a wonderful saying that I first heard years ago with him. He said, go where the problem isn't. Mm. So what I know is when I'm presented with a client who has clearly got a problem, whether they, they, they've got a particularly difficult challenge they can't overcome or they're in a state of overwhelm and their thinking is not clear, go where the problem isn't. And what that, what that often means is I just need to get them to shift their state so I had a guy that I worked with in Newbury for a couple of years and sometimes I'd go and, and see him and I'd walk in the office and I could tell what sort of a meeting it was going to be before I'd even got to his <laughs> desk. And and I would literally just say to him, get your coat. We're going to go and walk up to Costa Coffee because I knew that all he needed was that five minutes of walking to the coffee shop to just reset. And then I could say, right now, would you like to tell me what's going on? Yeah, and, how, and more often than not, by the time he got to the coffee shop, he resolved it. You know, look, if, if you're in a hole, stop digging. Yes, 
Yeah, I'm going to get that printed on a T-shirt, Dave. That's Yeah, uh... <laughs> stop digging. Stop digging and pause for air and think about what am I doing? And before you know it, so it is, it's about sometimes simple state shifts. But everyone's access point is unique. But what I do know is most people know the things they can go do which are going to calm them down. The problem is when they're feeling overwhelmed and feeling really busy, that feels like the last thing they should be doing. Yeah. But that is the thing that resets the system, that restabilizes you uh, and puts you in the best place from which to solve whatever is going on for you. And it's amazing how, you know, uh, being in a bad mood or being stressed or overwhelmed, you, th- you tend to think of it as your own problem. But there is actually an element that it, you, you know, uh, emotions are transferred between people. And if you're, we've all been in at some point in our lives a negative working environment, which was only negative because people were overwhelmed or stressed or, you know, there was the person sitting next to you was going through a divorce. And, you know, when they came in every morning, you could feel, you know, the tension or the stress or whatever. And it is amazing how, you know, I think sometimes people think that taking time away to deal with you know, their stress or, you know, even if you're not in a particularly stressful place at the time, taking time away, people often feel guilty about. But actually, they think of it as taking time for themselves. In a sense, it's taking time for everyone else as well to say, okay, I'm I'm getting wound up and I don't want to share that energy with you. So I'm going to remove myself from the situation uh, rather than allowing it to sort of permeate and affect Mm. everybody else as well. And that's especially true of owners. Mm, because absolutely. I can promise you that how you're showing up as the owner of the business or or actually one of the directors of the business is you affect everyone and everything. Yeah, yeah. Starts from the top and it works. You know, we can get down. away. Yeah, we can get away with one employee having a bad day and everyone can adapt around it. But But if the people in charge are showing up in a poor way, then that affects everything. I, I'm always reminded of a story a friend told me. She said she went to the supermarket and she was, she was having a terrible day. And she said, in the supermarket today, she said, I don't know why today, but it was full of incredibly rude people. She said, everyone I interacted with was rude and in a bad mood. And you have to take that moment and think, hang on a second. I'm the common factor here. You yeah. know, I, everyone is picking up on my energy and, you know, I'm giving out this I'm annoyed energy and everybody else is reacting to that. Going, why are you so annoyed? You're making me annoyed. And it can, it can culminate. It can spiral. Well, it's there's a, a quotation I've used in my in my book, which is um, that we don't see the world as the world is. We see the world as we are. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's uh, that's about <laughs> as big a truism as you're going to get to wrap this one up. I think. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So I think that's uh, that's a lovely place for us to uh, draw to a close, isn't it, Dave, for, for this episode? Um, who are we speaking to next time? Right, well, next time we've got Andy Appleby. So he's the operations director at a company called He-Man Dual Controls down in Southampton, and they make the dual control pedals for learner cars. And uh, Andy came on one of my leadership programs, and the subject we're going to be exploring under the surface of the interview is confidence and the role it plays in how you show up in business. That sounds fascinating. I'm looking forward to that conversation already. Uh, In the meantime, how can we get in touch with you, Dave? So if you do want to get in touch with me, and, you know, and I'd love to hear from you if you've got ideas or things you'd like us to explore on this podcast, uh, or if you just want a conversation with me, probably the easiest thing to do is just email me, dave at sixcentsbusiness.com, and uh, I'll get back to you um, as soon as it's uh, possible for me to do so. 
And uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I think we've got a lot of interesting subjects coming up. And uh, hopefully this will be useful for people uh, who are on this journey uh, because let's make no bones about it. It is a journey. It doesn't end. Uh, <laughs> but we can make that journey as comfortable and as fun as possible. Every day is a school day. Perfect. Exactly. Thank you for joining us, everybody. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode.